There are some people in life that really only have a handful of good stories, and they tell those same stories again and again and again, and we call those people preachers because we are notoriously bad about that. The fact that you're laughing right now bodes well for me because that's going to happen this morning. There are other people, though, that have so many interesting stories in their life that if even half of them are true, they've lived a pretty wild life, to say the least. And Bob Goff is one of those guys. Bob has a ton of stories from his life that he loves to share with people. We're starting a brand new sermon series today. It's called Love Does. It's a five-week series, and every week we're going to hear a story from Bob's life, not because Bob is such an important person, but because every one of these stories does a phenomenal job of helping us understand a little bit better how God has loved us and how we are called to love others. This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you. We're going to be in several places this morning, but we're going to begin in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open those up? If you don't have your Bible, don't sweat it. The scripture will be on the screen behind, and you can also follow along on the YouVersion Bible app on your mobile device. Now, Bob's life of interesting stories started off fairly early on. Uh, probably the most memorable story from the early part of his life comes from his high school years. He was a junior in high school, never a great student, really didn't enjoy school, and so he decided before his junior year began, he was just going to drop out. And he was going to become a rock climbing instructor at Yosemite National Park. Here's the thing. Bob is not built to be a rock climbing instructor. He's kind of a short, squatty guy. And if you've ever done rock climbing, you have to do a lot of reaching. And the lighter, the better. But this was his dream. This was what he decided he wanted to do. So one day, he packed up his duffel bag, jumped in his beat-up VW Bug, and started off out of town. But before he left, he stopped by Randy's house. Now, Randy was this 20-something-year-old youth worker. He worked with an organization called Young Life. It's a group that seeks to connect teenagers with Jesus. They're still around today. And Randy had been at Bob's high school. He had kind of built this relationship with Bob. And Bob wasn't a Christian, but he really liked Randy and just felt like he owed this guy a farewell. So one Saturday morning, early Saturday morning, Bob pulls up to Randy's house knocks on the door, and Randy comes to the door with one of those faces because it was really early. He had obviously woken Randy up, but Bob was kind of oblivious to this fact. And so he just began spewing all of this information on this young guy who just woke up. Hey, Randy, it's Bob. I'm going to head out of town. I just dropped out of school. I'm going to go be a rock climbing instructor in Yosemite, and I just want to say bye. And Randy, God bless him, had enough sense to kind of hear some of this and say, hey, Bob, wait just a minute. He closed the front door, and a couple of minutes later, he came back, and Randy had a duffel bag in his hand. And he said, I'm with you, Bob, at least until you get settled. Now, this was unexpected. Bob didn't really expect Randy to come with him, but it was kind of a long drive, and so he welcomed the company. So the two of them got in this beat-up VW Bug, and set off for Yosemite National Park. And as they were driving, there were several instances where Bob would begin to second-guess this decision, or he would become a little unsure of himself. He would get this concerned look on his face, and Randy would just reassure him, hey, Bob, I'm with you. Again and again, I'm with you, Bob. Now, don't worry. That's not the end of the story. This this youth worker is not going to let a kid drop out of high school and ruin his life. Randy had a plan. But before we hear that plan, There's something about that phrase, I'm with you, 
that we need to pause and reflect on just a little bit, a little bit because this is one of those teachable moments that we talked about earlier. I'm with you is a rich phrase. For instance, I'm, I'm with you means presence in a lot of ways. It means actually being there with somebody in their life, in the good times and the bad. It means presence. You know, they got to Yosemite. Uh, it was late. They didn't have a place to stay, and so Bob and Randy actually broke into a campground. They snuck in through the back and, and squatted at, the, at a, a site there. And during that whole uncomfortable time, Randy said, hey, Bob, I'm with you. And then the next day, the two woke up, and they made some breakfast, and Randy said, Bob, I'm with you. And Bob would go start applying at jobs, and he would get turned down at every single job he applied for. But Randy was there to say, hey, Bob, I'm with you. And the two of them ate together, and the two of them would rock climb in the afternoons, and the two of them would break into another campground that night to stay somewhere again and again and again. Throughout this whole ordeal, good times and bad, Randy just kept reassuring Bob, I'm with you. He was present. Those words are really key to this story. And and here's kind of an interesting note. As we look at the biblical story, not just one of the stories, but this big story that the Bible tells from creation to revelation, we find that those words, I'm with you, are actually pretty important to that story as well. God continually reassures us throughout this whole narrative, I'm with you. And we see that even in one of the earliest stories in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 3. Like I said, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be there for a minute. It's the story of creation and humanity, and God makes people, and He gives them this, this incredible world to live in and to dwell in, and He gives them this job. I want you to take care of this place and to work the ground and to keep it, and, and in doing that, you also get to enjoy everything that this world has to offer. I just have one rule, God says. Just don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. That's the only rule. And you would think that would be satisfying enough that people would just follow that one rule and that they get to enjoy this whole creation that God made for them. But, but no, they love themselves and they love their desires more than they love this God who created and blessed them. And so they ate from the tree And that's where the story takes a twist, because when they do that, they realize what they've done. It says their eyes were opened, and that's where our passage picks up, chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? You catch that last part? Where are you? God doesn't come kicking down the door saying, where are you guys at? I'm so angry. I can't believe you did this. I gave you one rule and you dummies messed it up. He doesn't come with anger and he doesn't come with with judgment. He comes with this question, where are you? He wants to be with them, both in the good times and even here in the bad when everything's gone awry and the whole thing has been messed up. I want to be with you. I'm with you is what he says. God has this desire to be with people, to love them, not from afar, but up close. He is with us. And those words, I'm with you, they they don't diminish as the story continues. Actually, they just get louder and louder as we keep moving through Scripture until we get to the story of Jesus. And Jesus, man, there's so much about Christ that's so interesting, but one of the things that I personally find super interesting is how he fulfills 
So many prophecies that were spoken just hundreds and sometimes thousands of years prior. And we're going to look at one of those prophecies this morning, book of Matthew, chapter 1. This is one of those prophecies, it's about the birth of Christ. You know, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. That's what this passage is about, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 through 23. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is a really neat name, but Matthew does us a huge favor. He tells us what that name means. It means God with us. You catch that? God with us. Jesus is God's loudest declaration of, I'm with you. When you have joys in your life, I'm with you. I've experienced those joys because I was a real person in this world in the person of Jesus Christ. When you have setbacks, when you stumble, when you have struggles, I'm with you because I've had struggles when I walk this, this world in the person of Jesus Christ. When you are tempted, I'm with you, God says, because I've been tempted in every way, according to the book of Hebrews, through the person of Jesus Christ. God walked this earth and lived a real life in the person of Jesus because he wanted to be with us. Jesus is this loud and clear declaration that God is for us, not against us. He wants to be with us both in the good times and in the bad times. He's there. But God's presence didn't come cheap. In fact, that, that's part of this phrase, I'm with you, that we have to look at now because I'm with you doesn't just mean being present. I'm with you also means sacrifice. To truly be present with somebody, to love them up close, it will cost something. It always does. You take Randy and Bob, for instance. Randy was an adult guy. He had a job. So, so being with Bob, dropping everything and going to, to make sure this kid didn't ruin his life, it cost him time. And it cost him money, and it cost him comfort sleeping on the ground as they broke into campsites. But the real cost of Randy's presence wouldn't be felt until they got home. You see, Bob did come to the realization that this whole thing was a horrible idea, that he needed to get back into school. And so they came home. Bob dropped Randy off at his house and followed him through the front door into Randy's living room. And when he got there, he noticed all of this stuff just spread out all over the place. There was a box of dishes, and there was a box of silverware, and there was a box of Tupperware, and there's just all this stuff spread all over Randy's house. And Bob's first thought was, man, this guy's kind of a slob. And then Randy's girlfriend came out of the bedroom to meet them, and Bob thought, what is Randy's girlfriend doing here so early? And that's when he noticed one of the cards on top of one of those boxes of kitchen things, and big letters said, Congratulations. And he noticed a ring on her finger and realized that Randy's girlfriend was actually Randy's new wife and that Randy had just spent the first weekend of their marriage traveling to Yosemite National Park with a high school kid just to make sure he didn't ruin his life. You see, being with Bob, being present, loving him up close, it cost Randy something precious. And God loving us in Jesus, being present in our lives, it cost him just as much, probably more, 
because it didn't just mean God came here and, and broke into campsites and slept on the ground and just hung out with us. It meant that, that God lived with us, walked with us, laughed with us, cried with us, and died for us. You see, in the person of Jesus, God took all of our guilt. He took our shame. He took our wickedness. He took everything that once separated us from him. He took it upon himself, and it died there with him on that cross. And he gave us restoration. And he gave us hope. And he gave us a promise. And he gave us this abundant life that doesn't end. That's what God has done for us. He was with us so that we could be with him forever. We call that the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. God being present cost something. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, if, if, if Randy was willing to give up so much to be with Bob, if God was willing to give up so much to be with us, why? I mean, that's kind of the question. You ever received a gift that was just so incredible that you couldn't really wrap your head around it? Why would somebody be so generous towards me? And when you start to think about that question, especially in terms of Jesus, we find the answer isn't that complicated. Really, that's just what love does. Love is not content to love at a distance and is not content to, to keep at arm's length. Love pursues and love embraces and love is willing to pay the cost in order to be present. That's what God's love does. The question that we got to ask ourselves this morning is, is that what our love does? Because we've received this incredible gift. We've been loved by the maker of heaven and earth in an incredible way, but love isn't content just to be received. It has to be reciprocated. Love is active by nature. So are we loving like this? I guess what I'm saying is, am I saying to somebody, I'm with you. Are we present in somebody's life? Are we willing to pay the cost to really be there and love them? I'll be honest with you this morning. This is one of those ugly truth times, okay? A lot of times in my life, I don't want to be present. I would much rather love somebody from a distance to kind of keep that arm's length because it's easier and it's, it's less messy and it's less costly. That's my human nature. I just want to love people from afar. But that's not the kind of love that changes lives. I had a buddy when we lived near St. Louis. His name was Kyle. And Kyle was a good guy. He was a couple years younger than me. I baptized Kyle. I uh, did his premarital counseling with his wife. Uh, married the two of them. You know, I, I, I just enjoyed being a part of his life. And everything was fine for about a year. And then Kyle's wife had an affair, and she just disappeared, ran off to Colorado with this guy, and he was just crushed. I mean, his whole life was just turned upside down. I mean, he, he, emotionally, he was shaky. His faith was shaky. I mean, he was just a mess. And it would have been so easy just to love him from afar and to say, hey, man, I'm thinking about you to say, I'm there for you, dude, to bring him a meal and say, hey, I know you're going through something, here's a meal. Even to say, I'm praying for you, man. We do that in church sometimes. We love people from afar. But he didn't need that distant arm length kind of love. He needed somebody to be there. He needed 
somebody to sit with him through this mess, to ride this out with him, to not be afraid of what it was going to cost in time and emotional energy. It's easy to love people from afar in our culture today. We can text them. We can tweet them. We can send them a Facebook message. We can send them a card in the mail. Like I said, we can even say, I'm praying for you. And I'm not knocking prayer when I say that, but it's just the reality. It's easier to pray with somebody than it is to actually be there and be present for somebody. Because to be present is costly. To be present can get messy. To be be present It can be exhausting sometimes, but we have to remember that's how God has loved us, and it has changed our lives. That's the power of that present kind of love. A distant love, it'll change a moment. We'll have that moment of relief, that moment of joy, that moment of happiness, that moment where we think, man, I'm glad they're here for us, but a present kind of love, that changes a lifetime. Javarius Allen is a prime example of this. Javarius was a kid that grew up uh, in poverty. His grandmother raised him, and she did the best she could. She actually did a great job. She just didn't have a whole lot of means. But Javarius grew up in a house where the front door leaked water. As he describes it, sometimes it leaked snakes. Uh, There's a hole in the bathroom floor. You could see down to the dirt on the foundation. When the power went out, you could hear the roaches scurry across the floor. He he lived in, in poverty. And Javarius' life changed when he turned 12 years old. His brother was convicted of murder, sent to prison, and grandma didn't want her little angel to follow in his brother's footsteps, so she enrolled Javarius at the local chapter of the Boys and Girls Club. And when he got there, he met a man, met a man named Mickey Cullen. Now, Mickey was the director of that chapter of the Boys and Girls Club, and when he met Javarius, he could tell this was a nice young man, a smart young man, just somebody that needed, somebody to take an interest in him. And so he asked Javarius, what do you want to do when you grow up? And Javarius said, I want to play professional football. And Mickey said, okay, let's make it happen. So every single day for the next six years, Mickey would take Javarius 40 minutes to football practice, pick him up and drive him 40 minutes back home. Every single day for six years. During that time, they got to know one another. Mickey said, Javarius, do you need help in school? Javarius said, yeah, I really do. So Javarius would come over to their house, and he would eat dinner with the Cullen family, and they would help him with his schoolwork. Eventually, they just kind of adopted this kid. They helped him get into college. He went to USC, where he played for the Trojans. And in 2014, he graduated as the first member of his family to ever hold a college degree. And then shortly thereafter, was the 125th draft pick of the 2015 NFL draft. Played for the Baltimore Ravens. His dreams came true, but more importantly, his life, his whole life changed because one guy was willing to pay the price, to give the energy, to give the time, to love this kid up close and be present. That's the power of this present kind of love. That's the kind of love that we have experienced in Jesus. You know, we hear about this incredible love in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. It's a familiar passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
You know, it's such a familiar passage. Sometimes we forget about the truth and the power in those words. It talks about this incredible love, but the love of God was not content to stay distant and far away. He came into this world and he paid the price. He paid the cost in order to be present and to save us. That kind of love ought to change us so that we love with a present kind of love as well. In fact, Jesus also says in the book of John, chapter 13, verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A lot of talk about love in there, but when you start breaking it down, really what he's saying is, I have loved you in this present kind of way. I have loved you in this costly way, so now love one another in this present costly way. You ever think what might happen, what might change in our families, and our, our communities, if we as a group of people loved like this, if we were willing to pay the cost and be present in people's lives? Man, pe people's lives would be changed. Bob Goff, as he recalls the story about Randy in his book, he finishes this, this whole story by reflecting, and he says this, he says, Randy was committed to me, and he believed in me. I wasn't a project. I was his friend. I wondered if maybe all Christians operated this way. Here's the sad part. I didn't think so, because most of them I had met seemed to have opinions about what or who they were against, rather than who they were for. That last line they seemed to have more opinions about what or who they were against than who they were for. That line, it sticks in my craw a little bit because there's a bit of truth there. I mean, if, if we're just honest for a second, collectively, maybe we have made it too clear what we are against without making it equally clear who and what it is we are for as a people and as believers. There are a lot of sinful things that we stand in opposition to, but first and foremost, we ought to be known as a people who love, a people who are present, a people who are willing to pay the price to be in people's lives and to love them the way that we've been loved. I mean, that's Jesus' own words in John 13. By this, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That love that present love, that active love that does, that's what ought to define us in this world. So let us not be a people who are known solely by what we are against. Let us be a people who are known by what we are for and who we are for. Let's not love with a, a hypothetical kind of love, but a love that does. Being present in somebody's life, loving up close like this, it's not easy. It gets messy. But I don't think we can be afraid of that mess. We have to be willing to be invested in people's lives, realizing that being present doesn't mean we are permissive of everything they do. It just means we're willing to love with the same kind of messy, costly, powerful love that Jesus has loved us with. And this morning, if you haven't experienced that love for yourself, if you haven't accepted that love for yourself, I want to encourage you this morning don't leave here today without choosing Christ. You've heard a little bit about what he's done for you. He laid down his life. 
He gave everything so that you could be reunited with God, be made whole, and receive all the promises and all the blessings that God has in store for you. So I want to urge you to make that choice. On the back of the the connection card in front of you, there's a blue circle. We call it our next steps wheel. At the very top, there's this little white icon. It's a cross. It says, choose Christ. This morning, if you want to make a decision for Jesus, if you want to accept this incredible life-changing love into your life, and I urge you, indicate on that little circle somehow, this is the decision you want to make. Be sure to turn that into the, the Welcome Center desk before you leave because we want to get in contact with you this week. We want to help you take this step in this incredible journey that you're about to embark on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love. It, it changes literally everything. It changes our lives. It changes our relationships. It is changing this world and this universe, what you did that day on the cross. And Father, I pray that it would change us and how we love others, that we would not sit on the sidelines with love, that we would not love from afar, but I pray that we would be a people that emulate you, that love with this present, costly kind of love, and that through that, other people would come to see the hope and the promise that you're offering in Jesus. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.